The Temple Commute, Season 12, Episode 2, Dictator, in which Lindsay and I talk about what you think we might talk about. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power. But they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason, a world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Hey, Lindsay. Hello, hello. What a great clip. I hadn't heard that clip for... I never even thought that there was audio really in that, in that I, movie. I, I, I completely forgot about it. I, I, I went through a spate a, a few years ago of uh, really wa- of watching Chaplin films. Uh, and I really yes, maybe we it. should say what that clip was. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> that is the very final part of uh, Charlie Chaplin's The Great Dictator. And of course, people think of Chaplin and think of silent movies. But in, in The Great Dictator ends with this really wonderful speech. Uh, and um, actually, the, the, there's a, we'll put a link to the speech in the, uh, in, as we do with of all the links in the in the notes because I think the speech there's a there's a link to the video and the text of the speech and I think it's actually a great ELT activity you could you could amend you could gap fill it you could do lots of things with it anyway um, my what? point my point was that the speech is so relevant today even though it's from 1940 exactly exactly indeed before we go any further though I let me just welcome all our listeners <laughs> this is the Tuffle Commute it's a podcast for language teachers that's not about language teaching but the cop topic does come up um and actually we're about to change that already there's been a spooner coming in there i think (laughs) and 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 today's topic is is one where which is not necessarily about language teaching but it is going to come up i'm your host lindsay kleinfield i'm joined by my co-host hi i'm sean and i'm sean wilden and yes and today we well this week we're recording this before we know but this week of course is uh, hopefully the end of a dictator fingers crossed not getting too carried away <laughs> yes well it's the u.s election and so there is a or what we would what some might call a wannabe dictator some would call a real dictator the other would call well i don't know let's not get into the politics of that one. yes the, but so the temple commute goes all political <laughs> it does go all, well it does go a little bit political now i i think i think we've been doing the temple commute for a few years we've been doing yeah. a tough commute throughout well, see, the whole of the trump presidency and we haven't once mentioned I think we have oxygen once. maybe we i think we've mentioned it once actually i was thinking about this when we were rehearsed we, we, uh, maybe when we did our episode yeah. on exit which was another topic that we never wanted to broach <laughs> but but um, um there is one part about trump and trumpism that that probably 
relates a bit to this dictator type stuff that we're talking about and to language and yeah. therefore to language teachers. And, and that so if people is... are confused, how the, the people might be confused. They're like, why are they going to talk about Trump and ELT? Yeah, if you're not used to the TEFL community, what we do is we choose, a, we, we kind of pick a topic, pick a word, and then kind of rift on that theme. And, all the, and we were talking about dictators, and then we realized there is great relevance to dictate and us with the elt classroom but we, we can't not talk about trump at this point uh, uh can no. we so no. no um so and of course trump we're talking about his language i guess his, his mark yeah. that he's he's left us as, as, as on uh, as english language teachers and therefore people naturally interested yes. in, in english language yes um, and, and and one could argue you know what 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 mark has he left but um i mean there are for example, Trump words, which have come into the lexicon, kind of joking. Do you remember Kofi and Bigly and things like that? But what I find interesting is actually, you know how we talk about adjectives, we talk about all the extremes and the adverbs that go with it, like utterly and whatever. Because Trump doesn't use any of that. And what I think one of his, one of the things he's left on the language is the use of very plus adjective. I think he's going to make it very difficult for us to teach gradable adjectives in the future. Yes, it's always very, very, very. Yes, it's very yes, yeah, very big, very this, very, very that. We're, we're construct. Uh, there's a there's a, a number, and we'll, and we'll refer to a few a number of articles uh, where linguists have gone into uh, Trump's language. Uh, and this one, uh, I think, it's from the University of Birmingham website. Is uh, says Trump uses shorter words and a more restrictive vocabulary, uh, which you'll go into uh, into more as to why in a minute. I think Lindsay. Uh, but uh, so his his grammar is simple. His sentences are shorter. And they've analysed his uh, his sentence patterns, and they tend to be um, um, they tend to be things like this. So we will construct. So there's a verb, a wall, noun. So it's typical. He will have a verb, very simple verb, noun, phrase, or a very um, simple noun, noun, phrase. Like construction of the wall is what they will have. And all his language boils down to this very um, this, verb, this very noun. simple verb noun uh combinations uh which is which i find really interesting i say it's kind of um i guess if we grade him he'd, he'd be down in this kind of almost a two b one level of, of language well, indeed, <laughs> but that, they say that this is also because it appears it appeals and it appears familiar and appeals to a larger pro pro proportion of the people and what i thought was interesting about that birmingham uh, uh, article was talking that it sounds more casual because his his casual spoken English yeah. is typically more verb heavy, yeah, whereas yeah, formal yeah. written English it's is more noun heavy. noun heavy. So when yeah. you speak with more noun heaviness, you sound a bit. Your spoken sounds more written and therefore more formal and perhaps more educated, but um, it's not the sort of language of populism, right? Which is what the Birmingham what, what, which is doing, and, and, and yeah, it's also it's just interesting. About interesting how as how um you know there's all this uh, all these um, art of of the speech and the craft of the speech and, and trump has really thrown all that out in favor of basically hyperbole i guess yes <laughs> well this was another article that i found by one of my favorite linguists uh, uh george lakoff who wrote a fantastic book called metaphors we live by and he's done some work looking at uh, the kind of language that trump's used and he, he had this great kind of we'll put a link in the show notes but some of the points he makes is the use of hyperbole and exa so exaggeration and here he does say that the 
often repeating things. So very, very is one. Many, many. So repeating many as well. Like many, many people. Many, many things. Um, he also uses. He does use some intensifiers, like extremely, enormously. Those seem to be uh, along there. Um, to Trump, according to Lakoff, things are either terrible or incredible. So it's terribly this or incredibly it's, that. It's true. Yes, yeah, it's, it's very, very, true. very many, many. And also, he he also points out the rare uh, coinage of super duper. Remember, there was a super duper missile, or it's a super duper program, and so on. Another one is, um, and and this was very interesting, is the use of sentence fragments. So fragment sentences are actually very frequent and common in spoken English, right? So everyday speech, you and I, in fact, if we are talking right, in, uh, if we transcribed what we're saying right now, you'd probably find quite a few sentence fragments because we haven't, yeah, very much. we haven't scripted our speech, right? Yeah. But here's a sample of Trumpian type fragments yeah so yeah. he says and in 19 and i will tell you this and i said it very strongly years ago i said and i i love the military and i want to have the strongest the strongest military that we've ever and we need it more now than ever so there are so many fragments in there yeah. um and and they stand out because according to lakoff they are uncommon in formal public speeches which are usually written rehearsed and read kind of verbatim from the prompter. So when he goes off the prompter, that's when all the fragments start coming out. And, um, you don't and find also, yourself listening to him going, will you finish a bloody yeah, sentence? Yes. <laughs> and also for people who like that, they think, oh, it's so sort of, that's how people talk. He talks just like my uncle talks or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, another linguist at the University of Texas, David Beaver, writes about how Trump's language mirrors the tactics of advertisers, which goes with emotional persuasion over rationality. So relying on graphic imagery used by vivid words, uh, like dies like a dog and things like that. Language also that is more typical of salespeople. Um, and, and the really interesting one is uh, some of his most famous catchphrases, which are things like, believe me, and many people are saying. So these two phrases, believe me, and many people are saying, are, in fact, versions of tried and tested verbal sales techniques. Yeah, it's so, the basis type, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Well, what Lakoff uh, uh, describes this as is that when Trump says, believe me, he's using a principle known as, here, inverted commas, justified belief to mm. suggest that he has the requisite expertise and insights for the subsequent belief to be true. The implication is powerful because it shapes the listener's uh, subconsciousness. So if I say, believe me, that is sort of like, I'm, I'm setting it up like, you will believe this. The other thing that um, is pointed out is that many people are saying often comes right before something is completely untrue or baseless or has no sort of factual claim. So it's very vague. But the many people are saying is to make it sound more trustworthy to listeners rather than just stating the claim. Sorry, I was going to say there is an equivalent that I often hear when I'm in plenaries, and that's like many researchers. Yes, um, like re like we would do it as well in ELC yeah. conferences, where it's like lots of research shows without yeah, actually yeah, yeah. saying or yeah, I I think even not lots of research. I think you're right. It's like many research. Uh, has been done, or this has been studied. Many, many uh, researchers have said, without sort of quoting it, could be, uh, could be, it, it, well, it has the same implication, which implies that one has direct experience with what one is talking about. Um, and also, at a fundamental level, according to Lakoff, people seem to be more inclined to believe things that they believe have been shared or already stated. Yeah, so like if, if I, I, you'll believe things if you believe that lots of people believe them. 
Yeah. Oh, or, oh, or you're, you're getting into, I, I'm, te- I'm teaching this tomorrow. You're getting into yeah. bias and in, yes. in all those. Well, exactly. Yes. Or we believe, anyway, these are all what things that Lakoff talks about um, in, in his article called Understanding Trump's Use of Language. It's a t- 2016 and then 2019, I think, follow up. Um, we'll put a link in the for notes. Fascinating stuff. It is. It's kind of. Uh, and have we have... actually have we have we used all our oxygen that we're going to use on the Temple commute ever? Oh, I've got one more because you've just reminded me because it's one of my okay. favorites. So I am teaching I'm in my uh, in my university uh, lecture tomorrow. I am teaching bias. Uh, uh, okay. uh, uh, so Trump always reminds reminds me of the Dunning Kruger effect, which I love uh, as a cognitive yes, bias. Yes, I do love the that, that idea. Although I've I've heard uh, different things. Why don't you explain to our listeners? Who I'm sure yeah, the they Dunning know Kruger it effect. It's but just in case they don't, people. It's the a cognitive bias in which people with low ability uh, overestimate their ability. <laughs> yes. So that, that's Trump all in all. So yeah. and it's uh, and it, it is that. It was just you reminding me of all the of that and all the other little biases in play because of people believing what what uh, what they say by being in Trump's group. Anyway, that's enough oxygen. That's enough oxygen. I think it's time for a break. Welcome to The Algorithm. The Algorithm brings you the best in example language sentences found on the web and language learning apps. Each is tailored and randomized, especially for you. Today's sentence is... The liver pate demands that the polar bear leaves the room. The liver pate demands that the polar bear leaves the room. Ooh, good old algorithm there. <laughs> so much fun. I just, yes, I, I spent the problem with the algorithm though is I spent so long on, on that uh, Duolingo site where <laughs> on that WTF Duolingo site where you get all those translations, and you just think, do they really, really? I mean, like, oh, anyway, <sighs> anyway, tyranny, tyranny. That's tyranny. all I've got to so, say. Tyranny, <laughs> tyranny, tyranny. So we're still on dictators, like literally. All right. So what is what are we going to talk about next now about relating to dictators and? Are we relating it to education? We've related well, it I think, to language. Well, I think so. I, I think so. Right, I think. I, 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 what, how, how does, <laughs> I, I have I'm something start with, well. I'm going to start yeah. with, a new, with an article that I found. Just, I think we'll call this like part two, Devil Commute part two. Um, okay. So what is educa- educational tyranny and what does it look like? Now, let's explain this. Because uh, when we talk about dictator, we're not, we're not uh, there is, if we start thinking about the roles of teachers in the classroom, the way that teachers go, and this is how Lindsay and I's mind work, we go from Trump to teacher roles. Um, yeah. Then we started thinking thinking on things like, you know, you, you get the participant, the organizer, those kind of things. But of course, you've got the authoritarian. And what's really interesting, therefore, is if you start looking at the authoritative and the authoritarian teaching styles of the classroom. Um, and so, Lindsay, do you want to say a little bit more? Sure, sure. So, I mean, you were you. I, I think you were bringing up the idea of the whole teacher roles, different kinds yeah. of roles. Like, like we often say that a teacher could be um, a resource, a guide, a facilitator. These are kind of things that we are supposed to say, right? I'm not a teacher. I'm a mentor. I'm a facilitator. I'm an organizer. But there are also the teacher roles of authoritarian, an assessor, and things like that. Yeah. And I found a really interesting uh, argument on uh, from from a. Uh, a paper from 1998 
by someone called Carl Wenning in okay. physics teacher education program about classroom management styles of teachers, uh, how they, they can be characterized along two dimensions. Okay. So um, the type of control that is exercised over students is one. Mm -hmm. So that's one, one, uh, one, whatever dimension. And then the other is the degree of involvement of teachers with students. The, um, so the extremes of these dimensions allow teachers to be readily identified, like as management, that's their styles. So control, um, control exercised over students can go from high, high control, where teachers lay down the law and very strictly enforce it, to low yeah. control, where the teacher have no rules and no expectations for their students. Yeah? Involvement can also go from high to low. So high involvement is like teachers who are really, who have high regard for their students. They like their students. They enjoy being around them. They want to see their students do the best. They're highly involved. On the other hand, low involvement, they are not that involved with the students. They don't really care. They're just, they're doing the hours. They're not paying attention. They have no uh, regard for the, con or yeah. concern for the students. So if we take those, then you can categorize them. And this is where we come to our tyranny uh, and education tyranny thing. If you have high control, yeah, so yeah. you're laying down the law, but low involvement and you don't care, then your style is categorized as authoritarian. An authoritarian teacher has high control over the students, but low involvement in, in their lives. You know, yeah, you so it doesn't, it just basically go through the ropes and just laying yeah. down the law, essentially. Yeah. Now, if you have low control, like no rules and high involvement, like you really care about them, but you have no control that teacher style is indulgent so the teacher indulges them they're like always trying to be i guess that's kind of the teacher trying to be your friend um things kind of going off the rails and maybe students don't like it because they're like i wish the teacher would sort of control it a bit more instead of just trying to be my friend yeah uh, that right oh, i i when, when i was i looked at that when i when i read the research when he sent me it was also i i wonder if there are accidental indulge, indulgences Possibly. in the sense that you've got an inexperienced teacher you know thrown in with a class or a level that, that could be true as well so the the high low control and high involvement could be your young beginning teacher who has not a lot of experience with classroom management but then it, it, struck, it struck me you could move through these roles at different parts of yes, your career that's true the other two things that are low control so this is someone no control of the classroom no rules whatever and low involvement so low control and low involvement is the style is permissive that's really like that's a teacher who really just doesn't care and doesn't control either they're sort of they could just be oblivious to what's going on and I've, I've had teachers like that at university for example mm. like you know we might as well not have even been there. They came and did the class and that was it. And then on the other end of the scale, high control and high involvement is authoritative as opposed to authoritarian. So the authoritative style is control, is characterized by principles, high expectations of behavior, clear statements about why behaviors are acceptable, and warm student-teacher relationships. But the authoritarian style is characterized by numerous regulations, seen as punitive and restrictive. Students have neither a say in their management, nor are they seen to need explanations. Yeah. Uh, can I cut in there before you yes. before you say which is better? So 
I couldn't because I found a research paper that, get, that predates yours. Okay. Uh, so mine's from 1984. And I think it's also interesting to show because we're going back in time, but it also shows yeah. our attitudes change, doesn't it? Uh, and this paper was called How to Be an Effective Authoritarian Teacher. Um, so not authoritative teacher, authoritarian teacher. Okay. And this one, is, and, and this is, and they said, this, uh, this paper begins, or it's in the, in the early part of the paper, says um, that such a teacher and the pronoun of choice in the article is he. So he knows that the society expects the educational philosophy and roles of expectations held by school and are subject to change and improve teachers to be ma to make mature and responsible leaders, to pass on cultural heritage, to develop values and respect and discipline in the young. So, you know, being authoritarian is the way that we get there because an authoritarian teacher understands standards of behavior and performance. Can you wow. imagine that now? Wow. <laughs> He knows that an orderly society is dependent on students who have learned the rule of law. Yeah, I know. I know. Exactly. Democratic society. Wow. Uh, the, yeah. whole, the, the whole, the whole, the whole paper is really interesting. Anyway, go back to you. <laughs> well, the, in my paper, fifteen years later, they say that the type of management style results in different kinds of behaviors. So the authoritative, remember, that's the one. A lot of control. Uh, and a lot of involvement. involvement. Yeah. yeah, produces students who are socially competent and responsible. So that obviously, this, this one is sort of saying that's the one to go for, yeah? The authoritarian style produces students who are ineffective at social interaction and somewhat inactive. And then they say the indulgent and permissive styles produce students that are immature, show no self-restraint, and exhibit poor leadership skills. Ouch. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's I, quite damning. I, I, it's, uh, I, you know, when we when we came up with this uh, episode title and we started uh, thinking about the ideas for it, I, 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 you know, I always enjoy what we do, but I, I found the research that we found really interesting uh, in, yeah. in the because uh, I've not thought about it from this angle particularly. No, neither have I that much. I mean, I, I think there's also been that that, that I'm, I still remember one teacher when I started out saying to me, remember, they're not your friends. They're not yeah, your yeah. friends. Yeah, no, I get, but, but I'm thinking as, as a teacher <laughs> but, trainer, we, we go yeah. through that traditional, I think we've all done those, we're both trainers on those four-week kind of courses yes. where you kind of teach the teacher role because I think a lot of a lot of people come in with a, with this kind of idea of an authoritarian teacher, but that's what they're yes. going to be and we yep. teach them we, because because they, they see a, a perhaps an old-fashioned standard classroom whereas elt tends to want to be more um, do, do those other roles so so we do that we do those teacher roles of facilitator and uh, mentor and participant just to teach the, the, the new teachers the differences but actually looking at this authority i really enjoyed the, 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 that little chart that i can see the, the dichotomy of the high involvement high control i find really interesting and, and you know. i think that that is also slightly reflected in stuff that was going on in elt if i think about jim scrivener and adrian underhill's attempt at defining what they call to demand high, demand, high. demand high teaching i think follows a sort of authoritative style yeah whereas they were arguing that perhaps dogma followed a less like more of an indulgent style maybe i'm putting words in their mouth but perhaps and but as i say i know um i find it interesting i i think you do you i think you need to be authoritative to be uh, a dogma kind of teacher because you need that's to that's true as well you, you need, need to high involvement because you've got to be yes. um you've got to be manipulating and playing with the language the students are coming up with i i think it's just different ways about it and i go back to the point i made as well i think about teachers adopting different roles and stages of the of their career i think authoritative teachers are not necessarily brand new teachers because they just don't have the maybe no, the, the, the self-efficacy and, and yeah. the confidence to, to do that 
and it's certainly if I look at myself as a teacher, you know, way back when, I would try, I would definitely, I would, I would imagine I would come up with authoritarian as a, as my stop bloody talking kind of yeah. piece of go, and yeah. then go and then go. Okay, that didn't work, so I'm going to be permissive or indulgent. And I think actually getting to that authoritative state. Um, yes. is, is, is a very skilled state for a teacher because yes. it's high involvement plus high control. And that kind of control is imperceptible in a way because you're, exactly. you're not laying down the law. So, exactly. I think also we've spoken about how we, you were quoting something from the 1980s. I found this in the late 90s. How is this being talked about in the 2020s? Well, there was a blog post. I just want to finish with this in this segment here, um, which is really interesting. Um, and this was making the rounds. And apologies here because there is an expletive. Do I have to tick word. the box when I upload I it to Spotify to, say it's going to be a swear word? <laughs> it was an article by Jeff Me Jeffrey Morrow on online uh, writing. Um, he's he's an educator writing uh, uh, something that's got got a lot of traction, sort of on the on the ed, ed tech uh, discussions uh, called "Against Cop Shit." And his thesis of this of this essay was "Abolish Cop Shit in the Classroom." And what he says, he defines this cop shit, he always puts it in inverted commas, as any pedagogical technique or technology that presumes an adversarial relationship between students and teachers. So here he's going, he's talking quite a bit and is being picked up by other people, how education technology does serve, can serve in that kind of tyranny way of establishing control. So, uh, and what he calls cop shit. So for example, he's, here are examples of what he says uh, he, he, he is against in the classroom. Ed tech that tracks students every move, plagiarism detection software, militant absence or late policies, protect, particularly ones that involve embarrassing students, for example, locking them out of the classroom, assignments that require copying out honor code statements, uh, an overemphasis on grit and discipline. And he ends, and this is from an American perspective, any interface with actual cops, such as reporting students' immigration status or calling cops on students sitting in classrooms. So um, it's quite interesting. So he, he's sort of, this, this is talking about how the, that interface between sort of an authoritarian, how, how the structure of education and ed tech can lend itself to be abused and create what, what, what this author is calling cop shit in the classroom. I, I think it, it, what I find interesting about that, uh, obviously, um, the, the first one, uh, more than anything else, the ed tech that tracks our students every move. Um, and because I find it interesting because I think it, it feeds it, that, that is one of the, that has come even more into the spotlight, I think, given the, the given the, the new working norms for, for teachers. For example, the, there's that, there is in Zoom where you can actually uh, switch on the detection to make sure that people are paying attention. Yeah. You know, was one of the things that was talked about uh, when we first went into lockdown. Uh, yeah. Uh, and I think uh, it's uh, interesting, his, um, one of the, uh, uh, to follow his, his, his view, uh, when he talks about sort of that, that a presumption of an adversarial um, encounter. So, for yeah. example, he says it's very seductive. So, um, uh, so for example, it's like it, it, this is the education, tech, the technology, the cop shit, as he would say, saying, "You will learn how to do this thing. We will know you learned it by the acquisition of this gold store star. But in order for me to award you this gold star, I must parse you, sense you, track you, collect you, and 
Here's the key, he says. I will presume that you will attempt to flout me at every turn. We are both scamming each other, you and I, and I intend to win. <laughs> so, so it's, and, and, and the more I think about it, when I think about some of the stuff that I used to, in course books, when teachers would say, how can I know that they've done the digital work? And then, and it was yeah. always a plus if I could say, oh, well, look, we have a program where you can track every yeah, yeah. everything that they've done. <laughs> I, I, I realize I am setting up that kind of there's a thing like an assumption you were they're always going to try to lie they're always going to try to break the rules they're always going to not do the homework so yeah, exactly yeah they're, they're looking up on the internet they'll do it this way they'll do that. i find that yeah. interesting and i said i i find it interesting in the other way but uh, but and, and this is probably going on a tangent and um uh and take it as into uh, other realms but but also like when you're doing a webinar and you're doing stuff and you're talking let's say you're talking about your book you're talking about that, uh, the, the key questions of how do i assess how do i assess them how do i test them how do i pro yes. prove so it's, it's, it's always this. This is what he's talking about. It's the cop yeah. shit. And yeah. it says that the, um, the, the traditional humanities classroom of reading things come together, talking about them, write papers about them is disappearing. There's no, there's this, it's, it's all got to be sort of not a victory for self-improvement or enrichment, but rather that the teacher or the technology won over your presumed laziness, your presumed exactly. sort of shiftiness but, and that you don't want to do it. Yeah. It's really I, interesting. It is really interesting, but let's just go into a break. I'm actually going to say, is it the teacher's fault or is it the stakeholder's fault? Because a lot of that is probably at stakeholder level when the teacher's following instructions. Definitely. Ah. I'm not going to blame this necessarily. There's a whole bunch of reasons for it, more than we can get into. But anyway, that's well, just the topic of teaching has really come up this episode. Hasn't it, it has. I think we need another break. My God. Yeah. Whew. Producer James here with a quick message to say thank you for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to stay in touch with us, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube at Tevil Commute and on Instagram at Tevil Commute Pod. Oh, okay, right. so uh, let's let's go back. Let's go back to the practical. We got all theoretical and discreet. Oh yeah, we got really yeah. theoretical. We got, yeah, we got, got out political comfort zone there. and then theoretical. So let's right. get let's finish with nice practical because dictator so dictation. Yeah, obviously. a dictator is also someone we could argue who gives the dictations, <laughs> a dicta who dictates, and dictation is a tried and true and and can be a really fun. Um, I, it would be in my if I I've, as people that have seen me in training sessions or whatever, I would tend to list it as one of my two, one of my favorite activities in the classroom. I love dictation. <laughs> yes. Well, why don't we then uh, finish by just quickly going through kinds of dictations that we've done? Okay. Or oh, kind no. of classic dictations like, uh, in ELT. Do, yeah. Do I need to start a timer for ten minutes? Are we having a who's? No, we're not even going to do it. We're not going to do a ten-minute timer. I think it'll be done in less than five. Go. Okay? Go. So. Uh, of course, like one of the one of the dictation styles that I learned that I remember thinking, "Oh my God, this is awesome!" was the dictagloss. Now I don't know how you do a dictagloss. The way that I always learned doing the dictagloss was that you dictate a short paragraph, yeah. maybe two three sentences to the students without yeah. letting them write anything down. So they have to just listen to it, and then you let like a, a few seconds go by, and then in pairs, um, they try to re 
build that by like by writing it down together. But the key yep. is that little time delay. So if I read you a little paragraph, and then uh, you wait a few seconds, and then you talk to somebody else, and you say, "Okay, I think it began with this," da, 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 and that, that's the dictagos. Is that have I got that right? Is that how? Yeah, you- that's pretty much it. See, uh, I can never say her name. Is it Ruth? How do you say her name? The grammar dictation book. That's why I learned how to do it. And oh, right. uh, Winthrop. Uh, Winthrop, that's it. Yeah, yes. I, and um, yeah, I would agree. That's it. I think the important thing, consideration on Dixagos, I would say, if I'm telling people what it is, it's based more on fluency than accuracy, whereas dictation yeah. is more accurate uh, for it. Yes, that's true as well. Yeah. Okay, your turn. All right, another favorite. Uh, so. I will go for one of my one of my all time favorites is a shouting dictation, and I think this works. Out. I think I mentioned this in episode one as one of the things you could do in a social distant classroom. But I yeah. love getting my students at either end of the classroom shouting their dialogue to each other. Oh like, you know, you know when you've got an A B dialogue in a course book. That's um, right. Yes, it, it works brilliantly for that kind of stuff. So A's at one end of the classroom, B's at the other, and they have to shout their dictation across. Warn your neighbours beforehand. No, you'll go. Go. Wonderful. Complete opposite to the shouting dictation is the silent dictation, where two people sit in front of each other and one of them, or the teacher does this to the class, or two people in front of each other, uh, they mouth the dictation. So you mouth words. So you say words without saying it, and the other person has to try to figure it out and write it down. This actually is getting a new lease on life in some of my classes as I tried silent dictations over Zoom because mm. that, that's so you can. So with silent dictations, I let them do sort of some gestures and stuff like that. They're speaking into the camera. One person is giving the dictation into the camera. Maybe they're dictating a list of words that we've studied or a short text or something like that. And the others are trying to write and sort of calling it out and, and so on. It's really good fun for working on different um, different uh, phonemes and stuff as well as uh, for cool. it. I am going to pick up the... So I did my fave, my loathe. I okay. abhor running yeah. dictations. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, running well, dictations, you know... Yes, <laughs> but tell, 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 Tell oh, everybody what it is. Explain so you, get, so you tend to tend to be done where people get a text. Uh, they might photocopy a text from a course book and copy and uh, like a reading text, uh, cut it up into different paragraphs, put it around the put it around the classroom or the school in the times when you could do that. Uh, and then um, and then students have to go. You put students into teams, usually A, B, and C. A runs off, finds the first bit of text, memorizes it, r- runs back and dictates it to the students. Then B goes, then C goes, and then the teacher falls asleep because it's so dull and achieves no absolute purpose (laughs) you'll go oh dear okay well let me go on then to uh my one here uh last uh, last one that i'm going to mention then i think one more from you is i i call this the whistle dictation or the The gap dictation whistle dictation or the gap dictation and i do this as a follow-up to some text work so if we've done a reading in class they've read a text and we've done all our exercises related to it at the end i get them to put away the text take out a piece of paper and I say, this is what we're going to do. I'm going to read the text out, but at certain words, I'm going to whistle or just go beep or something like that. So it's a beep dictation, whistle dictation, whatever you like to call it. And when I say beep or when I whistle, you write down the missing word. Yeah. So you're only writing down. And so then I will beep out collocations and things like that. Yeah. So that's a really nice way of following up a, a, a listing activity or using a tape script, you know, transcript. Yes. That's really yeah, nice. that's right. So you just it's read really, it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like if I were doing it for, for the beginning of our great dictator quote, I would put something like, then in the name of democracy, let us use that. What word? 
Oh, uh, my last one listening. is. You weren't listening. You weren't listening. <laughs> I, I was thinking of my last one. I was letting the audience fill it in. You know, audience, you know. Oh. Okay. Well, all right. So you're <laughs> go got on to out of that hole then. very quickly. Oh my, uh, my, God. my last one then. And there are, obviously, this is not, uh, this is our last one. There are many more. And we'll put some links in there. In fact, you've written a whole uh, article on Macmillan yep. you about. Uh, yes. About, um, dictation um but my last one is the picture dictation and in in a in a note to a former life go find who's zooming who and uh, one of our other podcasts and you'll find yes. us talking about picture dictations yeah how does picture dictations work just tell our listeners picture dictate I was going to say, go to, I would have told you, go to who's even No, you get a picture, could be a course of a picture, could be another picture. And I like this over, it's one of those things I like over Zoom as well, actually. So I dictate the students draw or the picture, and then we all see how well they did compared to what I said and compared exactly. to the original. There you go. Now, <sighs> bring it back full circle. I think this was a very, very good episode. Many people are saying it, believe me. Many people are saying it. this was a good episode, Sean. It was. <laughs> Extremely good. Extremely. Uh, was it a big awesome. was it, it, it was, it was a big episode. It was definitely <laughs> bigly. And anyway. on that note, we'll see you in hopefully a different time. Bye for now. Bye. As your commute is coming to an end, here's another activity that you can use in class. In this episode, we spoke about a number of different types of dictation, but here's one more: the mutual dictation. A mutual dictation is one in which pairs work together to complete a text. This works well in a socially distanced classroom where the pairs can be apart and online by putting pairs into breakout rooms. Before class, find a small text that you want to use. It might be an extract from a course book that you retype or a text that you found online. If it's an online text, please bear in mind copyright. The text should not be too long, but long enough to create a gap fill type activity. You need to have a copy of the text for pair A and one for pair B. And in each version of the text, remove different parts. So for example, in the sentence, the TEFL commute, a podcast for ELT teachers in which the subject of teaching sometimes come up, in pair A, we might remove the TEFL commute, a podcast. So pair B would just see for ELT teachers in which and then pair A would have the subject of teaching sometimes comes up, but pair B would have gaps. The idea is that in the dictation, they dictate each other the bits for each other's gaps. So prepare your text, save a copy for A and copy for B. In an online class, you can then use file sharing to, to give each pair the text. Or in class, if you can't use uh, copies due to COVID restrictions, then you could put each text in a QR code, which the students scan before the activity. You can find instructions for this activity at our website, tefelcommute.com. You've been listening to the TEFL Commute. An original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Clanfield, Sean Wilden, and James Taylor. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on your favourite podcast provider and by visiting us at tefelcommute.com.
look at that. Just as I finished, my phone went rang. Can you hear my phone going? Yeah, I was like, why are you giving the yeah, no, Zoom? It's my phone ring. The who's yeah. Zooming who? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 